Hello and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's so good to see all of your faces. My name is Terry Mason. I'm on the board of the Peace Alliance and welcome to Peace On, your source for inspiring conversations and information from thought leaders across the spectrum on topics related to the strategies of building peace, fostering nonviolence, and creating a world that thrives, shifting our understanding toward empathy, compassion, and connection. We welcome you to our Hope Story Circle, and I'm joined today to facilitate by Liz Gannon Graydon, who is also on our board, and Yelena Popovich, who is our practicing peace in schools lead. It's good to see both of you. And our special guest today is Rivera Sun. We're so excited to have you here with us, Rivera. Rivera is an author and a storyteller, and I'm just going to ask you to come off mute and say good morning. Good morning, everyone. So delighted to meet you and to be in this circle. I've gotten to pop into one other Hope Story Circle. It's very inspiring. So I'm delighted to be here with you. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. It's it's always great to see you, all of you. I see some faces, familiar faces, some not familiar, but people from all over the world. So this is a great group. I'm excited. So I think I'll just ask Yelena to take us in together, bring us in with the meditation. Thank you, Terry. Welcome, everyone. So glad to be with today. Yeah, so my invitation for this practice today is to practice easing the mind. So let's practice easing the mind so that we can come in story space today with openness, curiosity, and abundance of hope. Just supporting the mind in this way helps us to really deeply listen to each other and perhaps access stories ourselves that might not be easily remembered or reached. So just for a moment, I invite you to practice letting go of our perpetual struggle, wrestling with our thoughts about past or future, and just easing the mind into present. So I invite you to come into a posture that your body would appreciate the most at this moment. And you can sit in a body that for your practice and laying down for your practice might be official if that might encourage you to let go a little bit more. And just start by taking some few breaths that are suiting for you in this moment. Perhaps inhaling and feeling your breath, fill, filling the lungs completely. Exhaling slowly. Just allowing a natural flow of breath. 
And if breath is not accessible for you, just finding perhaps a ground or sounds to anchor you. Just recognizing that we cannot control our thoughts that are arising. We can connect with our intention to ease the mind. And if thoughts are present, just to let them be. Inviting and offering yourself two simple phrases of kindness toward your mind. So perhaps saying one as you inhale, saying the other as you exhale. I allow my mind to be at ease. And as you exhale, may I be at ease with my mind. I allow my mind to be at ease. May I be at ease with my mind. Allow my mind to be at ease. May I be at ease with my mind. When the thinking mind starts up, just coming back to the breath, Jesus. Allow my mind to be at ease. May I be at ease with my mind. And as we close this practice, I invite you to let the words of Christina Baldwin over you. Life hangs on a narrative thread. This thread is a braid of stories that inform us about who we are, where we come from, and where we might go. The thread is slender but strong. We trust it to hold us and allow us to swing over the edge of the known into the future dream words. The breath and a smile. I extend my appreciation for all of you showing up today and practicing with me. And Thank you, Rivera, for braiding some beautiful stories and for joining us today and sharing your narrative with us. Welcome. Mm, thank you so much, Elena. And thank you, everyone. 
That was a, a special invitation for me right at that moment since uh, my internet started getting unstable and all that anxiety we can feel around tech just went ah! So the invitation to be to let it go, to know that it actually is okay, the thing got plugged in, it's all going to be fine, to then drop that added anxiety we carry was amazing. So thank you. So I'm Rivera's son. Some of you know me, some of you don't. So I'm going to share a little bit about myself. I uh, was born in Maine. I live in New Mexico now. I grew up on a farm. So I literally grew up pulling weeds and picking potatoes and swatting, you know, flies <laughs> um, and working as a youngster. And I now write novels that's one of the things we'll talk about today, but I'm also an activist and an organizer and a nonviolence trainer and a peace builder. So I wear many hats, but I think they all stylistically kind of work together. Um, and so one of the great honors of my life is getting to know the stories from the lineage of nonviolence, that this is a, a lineage that stretches around the globe is practiced by people of every age, gender, race, ethnicity, even political persuasion. It goes back in time. The first recorded strike that we know about was in 1170 BC when Egyptian pyramid builders went on strike because the Pharaoh wasn't actually paying them to build his you know, pyramid. They won the strike, by the way. And so what, where I come into this lineage is as a trainer, someone who helps people learn about the hundreds of nonviolent struggles that have succeeded in overthrowing dictators, the thousands of struggles that have won fair wages or human rights for women, for LGBTQ persons, and how that, how that works, how we win, organize and win. But I also am a novelist and a great lover of story. And so I weave the canon of nonviolent struggle and peace building work into the novels that I write. Because I believe that stories are powerful. That as human beings, one of our oldest technologies, we could call it, is the story. And that we have been telling stories for at least 40,000 years to help inspire us to get from there here to there, to rise to the challenges that we face in every era, to see the heroic within ourselves and to step into that character on behalf of our families and communities, um, to resolve the problems that are coming up in our world and to hopefully work on making the world a better place. So I want to invite you in the chat box right now, just so I can get to know you a little bit, to think of a character from when you were a young person, think of a character who inspired you that maybe you wanted to be a little bit like. Maybe it was from a book, maybe it was from a movie. But if you could just put that character into the chat box, that would be wonderful. And if one isn't coming up strongly from your childhood years, maybe someone a little bit more recently from a book or a movie. Wonder Woman, yeah. Louisa May Alcott's writing. Joe, I mean, didn't we all want to grow up to be Joe, right? Dr. Doolittle, 
right? Connecting to the animals and traveling around the world. Who else? Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan. I know what an incredible duo. Also with the real life tie-ins, she was an amazing peace activist and, and social justice activist and labor activist. Uh, Helen Keller, that is. Nancy Drew, yeah. I mean, the original woman detective, right? Right up there with Sherlock Holmes. The Littlest Witch, MLK and JFK as heroes. Uh, yeah, Buckminster Fuller. I mean, he was so I was going to call him badass, but uh, he was a really amazing person. Such a deep thinker. Dorothy. Yeah, Dorothy from Wizard of Oz, one of the classic heroines going on a hero's journey and finding her way home. And Frodo Baggins. Oh, gotta love Frodo. Oh, thank you, bud. Yeah, your grandmother's stories. Agent 99 from Get Smart. I don't know Agent 99. I'll, I'm excited for that one. Ramona. Yeah, thank you, Annette. I loved Ramona. She actually inspired me to tell my mother I was sick and stay home from school. But, um, it, well, I wasn't really sick. So maybe I didn't pick up the best lesson from Ramona there. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Okay, great. Well, keep the stories coming throughout. Uh, I, with my red hair, loved Anne of Green Gables. But here's the thing. I grew up devouring stories of women warriors. Um, and so, you know, not so much Wonder Woman. She was not quite in vogue when in the 80s and 90s. She hadn't made her great comeback yet. Um, but I grew up with Alana uh, from Tamora Pierce's series from uh, Harimad, from Robin McKinley's work. Uh, there were just a, a plethora of women who were pulling out the sword and slaying dragons and, you know, uh, fighting villains. Uh, and so I was very inspired by those as a young person. I wanted to grow up to be a woman warrior. I mean, I literally, if you handed me a sword in those days, I would have been out there in the backyard. In fact, I was with my sticks training and drilling. I was a little disappointed, honestly, when I grew up and I found out that swords weren't really in vogue. In fact, if you wanted to go fight with violence, you had to join the U.S. military and you had to learn to fire a gun, maybe drop a bomb. Nuclear weapons were a thing. Um, and I came of age as a, a, a young adult, uh, in turning 18, 19 years old, when uh, we went to war in Iraq. Uh, and to me, it was very obvious that this was an illegal war, that it was founded on lies, and that the heroes of our time were not going to be found in the U.S. military. In fact, the heroes of our time were not actually the people who were picking up violence and saving the day. That war was not the theater, the theater as they call it, where heroes show up and prove their worth and their valor. And in fact, as some of you have brought up in the chat box, the heroes that I were really seeing in, in these times were activists, particularly nonviolent activists. These were people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta, um, Fannie Lou Hamer, Ella Baker. I was just, she knocked my socks off. Mother Jones, who had an interesting relationship to violence and nonviolence, but we'll leave that aside for now. Um, yeah, so many people uh, started coming up. And indeed, when I was, you know, 10 years old, 
10, 11, 12 years old, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, Serbia, Ukraine, um, Czechoslovakia, uh, Poland, the Philippines, all had nonviolent revolutions for a variety of goals, some have been some including ousting um, Soviet occupation, uh, some of which stopping the overthrow of US-backed dictators. And to me, the people who are standing up in the streets, who are using nonviolent action, who are going on strike, who are boycotting, who are standing up against tyrants while refusing to become violent tyrants. These were some of the people that I felt were most heroic in our world. So that inspired my writing when I grew up, quote unquote, and started writing fantasy novels for young people. I wanted to ask the question, does fantasy really need the war and the violence in order to portray compelling heroes? Is a hero someone who wins a war or is it someone who stops a war? So this series is called the Ariara series. There's actually quite a number of books in it now and more coming. And in this series, we start with a basic premise that a young girl is going to learn to train to become a different kind of a warrior. Instead of learning to use uh, violence, she's gonna learn to use active nonviolence. She's gonna learn to wage peace. She's gonna learn to build peace. Indeed, she's even gonna learn an Aikido-like non-martial art form uh, that allows her to use a physical way between is what she calls it. That's like a dance. As she grows up slightly, as, she, as she, her story goes on, she learns how to use not just the uh, physical martial art, but also learns how to organize with others. In this book, she and others organize a workers strike that ends an unjust water policy that is forcing the desert people to work in the other kingdom, almost like slaves. So she learns how to organize with nonviolent struggle and then how to stand up for things like women's rights, in the third book that she's organizing with her aunts to actually stop an injustice around a gender imbalance that has arisen in what was formerly a very fair and equal society. And then in the fourth book, she's really working on waging peace. So she and her friends are organizing something that was inspired by a real life example of a nonviolent peace army uh, organized by Badshah Khan, who was a contemporary of Gandhi's who organized 80,000 people to drill and train like soldiers do, but for nonviolent action. This work, this real life example went on to inspire the Shante Sina network, went on to inspire nonviolent peace force, and indeed peace teams all over the world who do unarmed protective accompaniment, who stop war and violence, who protect civilians without using guns or weapons. And so I portrayed a similar kind of a peace force in um, the work they're doing in their border mountain region. I feel like these stories are so important because when we look at the stories that inspire us, they shape us and they shape how we view the world. And so in writing these stories that are about waging peace and active nonviolence, I'm challenging an industry of fantasy that is still stuck on war and violence. They're still stuck on uh, particularly girl heroes are very, girl warriors and assassins are very much in vogue right now if you look around, particularly at teen literature. And the escalating portrayal of violence is getting more and more and more grotesque in the stories that we're telling our young people and ourselves. 
I set out with this story, this series to say the violence is irrelevant to the good story. What we want is courage, determination, passion, creativity, friendship, loyalty, adventure, overcoming odds. That's what we're looking for in these stories, whether it's Frodo and Sam trying to throw that ring into the eye of Sauron, or whether it's, um, you know, Anne Frank's compelling narrative. And if the violence and the war are irrelevant to a good story, let's stop telling stories that show them as heroic functions, because in real life, that is not where we're seeing heroes be formed. So what I've found through writing these stories that started out as a great experiment is that now that hundreds, thousands of kids and their parents have been reading them, uh, they write back to me and I hear from them that the stories are working, that children love these stories. They are so compelling. They are enlivening. They, uh, they affirm, let's say it that way, they affirm in young people what they instinctively know to be true, that violence is not the answer. It is not heroic. And in fact, all the violence in our young people's fantasy right now is almost a propaganda routine to get them to grow up to join the US military or to certainly approve its goals or the militaries around the world or the status of war. And what I've found and heard from the parents and the children and even educators who are using these books in their classroom is that the stories are compelling to young girls and young boys. One mother told me that her sons who are addicted to violent video games hadn't turned on their video games for three weeks because they're reading these books. Children are playing the way between like that Aikido-like non-martial art form that redirects the hit of violence into a place of safety for both people in the backyard, right? Children are dressing up as Ariara and the other characters for Halloween. And then explaining to people on the street why they're these obscure characters, slightly obscure at this point in the, the series popularity characters on the street. So they're now peace agents, right? Kids are drawing on the way between to explain how they're going to navigate a conflict with their siblings. This to me is the whole purpose of a good story, that it doesn't stop on the page. It jumps off the page, weaves into our souls, and prepares us to be part of the real heroic struggles of our times. And if we look at kids like Fridays for the Future, if we look at the March for Our Lives uh, students who are opposing uh, mass shootings in schools, if we look at Black Lives Matter, we have more people under the age of 18 standing up for social justice in this country than we have ever had in this nation's history. And to me, um, that is what we as storytellers writers, authors, parents, educators can be a part of in our times. Taking this massive uh, motif of war and violence as heroism and transforming that to really advance the pragmatic and practical nonviolent and peace-based solutions that real heroes are using on the ground in our streets and around the world today. So that's the work that I do. That's the story that I wanted to share. Um, it comes out of my own experience of what, what makes a compelling hero, what inspires me. 
And um, I want to just thank you for letting me share a little bit about that today. We will be doing a book group with the U.S. Department, um, the campaign for U.S. Department of Peacebuilding in May, and we'll put that link in the chat box. And we'll be talking about the way between. So we do invite you to join us for that to go deeper with us and share more. But now I'm just going to hand it over to you because we have a very compelling question to ask you about stories. Thank you, Rivera. Wonderful. Liz, Yelena, would one of you like to frame the inquiry? Yeah, I would. And I'm so thankful for everyone who's here this morning. And we were so excited on our prep call last night, just kind of feeling the story that Rivera came to tell. And it was Rivera herself who, who kind of helped us or, or framed the question that she was interested in having us discuss in the frame room, in the breakout rooms. And it goes back to that thinking about the stories that affected you when you were younger. And she said, what are the question we want you to go into the room is, what are the stories that have shaped you? Maybe from childhood on, but not necessarily. And what are the elements that you felt most strongly? The elements and the themes that drew you to those stories or the showing up in your life still today. Did everyone get that? It was, yeah, it was a little bit, your, your connection got a little wonky in the okay. middle. Yeah, so, can you so, repeat it one yeah. more time? Yeah, yeah. so Terry, Terry put it in the chat, but what are the stories that have shaped you, especially maybe those from um, childhood? What themes and elements did you draw from those stories or characters? And how do you see them showing up in your life again and again, maybe even to this day? Terry has it in the chat room. I have an unstable internet connection right now. It's good. Um, that was so fine. Be there. Okay. That was good. So I look forward to, um, yeah, seeing what y'all come up with in the rooms. So we'll, we'll go into breakout rooms. Um, before I pause the recording, just a reminder about our agreements to speak from your heart, to listen with your heart to stay just enough so that others have an opportunity to share as well in the short time that we have together. And if you don't feel inspired to share, then give the gift of listening. Um, and that's fine. When we come back, um, we'll just share the themes of what was discussed. If people wanna share their own personal details, that's fine, but don't break confidentiality of anything personal when we come back because that will be in the podcast. Um, but there might be some things that people are willing to share that are personal and that's fine too. So we'll go into breakout rooms. We'll be back in about 15 minutes, but let me put the recording on pause and then I'll talk about the breakout rooms. Welcome back everyone. So good to see your faces. I see smiles. I see happy faces. Wow. I'm really interested to hear what people have to share. Who would like to share anything that's alive for you right now after talking in your small groups? We just had a, a, a really rich discussion that got off into our readiness to die. Wow. Versus our willingness to die. You know, our, our sense of mortality. I mean, we, we talk about documenting uh, our own stories our life stories and our children's life stories so they can go back and review them when they're older. You know, this is what I said when I was 15. This is what I said when I was 21. 
because on a day-to-day basis, we don't see our journey. We don't see how we have changed. But when you put in gaps in the story, then you can say, oh, wow, Mm. five years, big difference. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Wonderful. Thank you, David. Who else would like to share? You can unmute yourself. I guess I will. I was I was hoping that somebody else in my room that was in our room would share. <laughs> um, so I'm just sitting here waiting for somebody else to pop you up. You got it, Carol. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about, you know, stories that inspired us. And so, you know, the other two ladies had stories that inspired them. And really, you know, being a female, stories that were sort of, you know, from a female perspective, being a female. And, you know, me being, I'm in my 60s, you know, so... I was saying I really wasn't inspired as a kid because I really, you know, the whole patriarchy and having, you know, stories where you know, men were in charge and men are violent and men are often, you know, fighting each other and, and battling and, you know, jealousy and all that just really never really inspired me as a kid. I didn't become inspired by stories until high school, maybe. And then, you know, when I had my own children and, you know, reading stories that I read to them. And then I could kind of choose what I wanted and what I could share with them that meant something to me that would mold my three daughters in a way that I wanted to see them, you know, see the world. And um, so I just, I, I kind of remember thinking in a in high school, like there's gotta have been other societies where women were in charge, where it wasn't so male dominated and patriarchal. And um that wasn't exactly what they were saying. They were inspired, but they're both younger than me, you know, by stories that, you know, came out much later where maybe women were the heroes. Um, and I was also saying for me personally that there's so many stories and Passover is coming up and, you know, one of the stories in Passover, but many in our, you know, world are about children that are are wrong or that do wrong or aren't enough or aren't good enough or, you know, and in the Passover story, there's the, four sons, you know, the son and his sons, not daughters, right? There's always sons, four sons, the one who's wise, the one who's wicked, the one who's simple, and the one doesn't know how to ask a question. And I, I was saying, I just recently heard this song. And the song is the wise son says, instead of, you know, like, I know you said I'm wise, but, you know, you put me in a position of not being able to ever make a mistake, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I know that you say that I'm wicked, says the wicked son, but, you know, I'm just a teenager, you know, and can't you just help like with my self-esteem because, you know, I'm just going through stuff. And then, you know, the one who's simple says, I'm not stupid. You know, I just, I have a lot of creativity and my mind is always going. And, you know, with my ADHD, I'm very complex. And so, you know, please don't look at me that way. And then the one who doesn't ask a question says, um, I can I just sit in, in silence? You know, I'm getting it. I just, you know, I just want to be quiet and listen. And isn't that okay? Mm-hmm. That I was thinking about the messages that we give our kids. I mean, I love the messages in this book that she's talk about, talking about. And I love these kind of messages where, you know, everybody's okay. You know, everybody's perfect exactly how they are. And so, you know, we come to the table exactly how we're supposed to show up in the world. And, you know, we're given messages that that's not enough. So. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's so true. I mean, I'm reminded of my own mother. She was one of three sisters and they were told very specifically, the oldest was told you're the pretty one. My mom was told she was the smart one and the younger one was told she was the funny one. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't, you know, allow people to grow and explore and become, you know. So thank you for sharing that. Who else would like to share? Something from the breakout rooms, something that came up. I it was interesting. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Itaf. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Itaf, go first and then Kate. We have time for both of you. Okay. We share in our room, like uh, we was with Rivera and we share uh, stories about uh, like how a woman, it's uh, empowerment and they are influence us. And also uh, with the Marika we was and uh, with the Golden, but it was like a surprise. Um, I, I, I need to, I didn't remember Rivera, she reminded me, I met her in the airplane. Oh. From from Chicago to Albuquerque in the beast camp, oh. and he remembered that, and it was like a really surprise for me. And this is a big surprise. And look, this is the world out. It's small, and no, I I don't. It's not like the world is small. Like the people where you put your energy, and the, the same people they will meet and they will be like uh, together. I believe in that. Yeah, this is what uh, I get. Thank you, Rivera. Thank you, Ita. Kate? Um, you know, Carol was in my group and we were having some really fascinating discussions. And I think one of the things that I took away from it was that the, the things that we're drawn to as children, I'm noticing, at least for me in my life, um, the stories, the, you know, the, the big story was Wizard of Oz and Dorothy, right? And for me, it was like the beginning of really being drawn to adventure stories, really being drawn to adventure stories that had on wonder. And as an adult, Lord of the Rings is like my guiding light, right? Like Frodo Baggins is like my spirit animal without any offense to anybody. <laughs> like that is that is who I channel when I need to walk into my arena. And the reason why is because I've noticed in my adult life, leadership is something that I am charged with, right? And how I came to leadership was largely defined by these stories. You know, I, I have um, the quote, even the smallest person can change the world on my bathroom window, I, my bathroom mirror. I read it every morning when I brush my teeth. And, you know, as I was listening to today, I, I think what's interesting is that we are drawn to, in, my, in my, this is my opinion, but I, I think that we are drawn to certain elements of certain stories because they connect us with a larger purpose of what we're here to offer the world, a larger, a larger purpose of the gifts that we inherently have that we're kind of charged with manifesting in our lifetimes to, to I think, create larger change. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, one of the reasons why we feel so conflicted, and this was part of the conversation that we were having in our group about just stories that have been um, structured for us uh, and or told to us in terms of like, well, you can do this, but you're, really, you're not the person for this. Um, those stories are, are structured by the people who you know, they're in power, they're in charge, they want the world to function the way that it does, because it benefits them. 
Um, but when in reality, we are all worthy and all deserving of this. And it's the stories that have the flawed hero, right? It's the stories mm-hmm. where leadership is not perfect, but that those who rise to it end up creating much larger changes. The overlooked leaders are the ones who, or the leaders that just are so driven by their heart, but they're functioning in like a very practical, um, patriarchal uh, world. They're still valuable, you know, and, I, and even more so. These are the leaders that can actually throw the ring into the fire, right? Mm-hmm. These are, the, these are the leaders that we definitely need right now. And I think that when we kind of sit with what touched on us in our childhood and how does that resonate with us in adulthood today, mm-hmm. I think that's where we sort of find elements of what our gifts are, what our purpose is, and where our paths should be. Mm-hmm. My, that's, that, was, that was because of what I picked up today. So thank you. Thank you, Kate. That was, that was lovely. Thank you. Well, Rivera, before we close the goals, are there any last thoughts that you have to share? Well, I think Kate just, you know, really summed it up <laughs> nicely there. Oh, thank you. That's usually what I say in closing. So not to think of something new, but actually, you know, I could circle into uh, Lord of the Rings as a motif because I often use that as a metaphor for people in understanding the scope and scale of the times that we live in. Right. And it's ironic because, you know, Frodo and Gandalf actually have this amazing conversation. That's something to the effect of, um, you know, why, why do we have to be born in times like these? And Gandalf says something to the effect back of, you know, nobody who is born in times like these wishes to be, but here we are. And we are the ones that the world has literally been waiting for. Mm. Um, that's a big paraphrase. Maybe Kate has the quote handy, but, um, the thing about these times that we live in is that they are existential and epic human beings have never before faced such an existential threat to our entire species and world. This is huge. It is bigger even than the Lord of the Rings in scale. And so if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel small in comparison to what we're up against, and we have multiple existential threats from climate change and nuclear weapons to there's actually a few more lurking out there, pandemics come to mind, um, to just remember that this is why we have stories like the Lord of the Rings, like Moana, which I could talk all day about, the stories that remind us that we can step into our heroic potential, not in terms of necessarily being the one who's supposed to throw the ring into the fire, but in terms of maybe we're the one who's supposed to help our friend along like Sam does, or maybe we are the wizard in this story like Gandalf, or maybe we are, you know, one of the elves that helps them get into the barrels and go down the stream, right? That we all play a role in the big epic story of our times, but what's going to help us is remembering that if it feels overwhelming, we need to tap into the reality that we're living in that scale and scope of the story and be bold and brave in these times and mm-hmm. to not go it alone, but to go together. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's, that's a lovely close. So I'm going to put some links in the chat. This is about the Peace Alliance who hosts these Hope Story Circles. Our website is peacealliance.org. And our mission is to empower civic action for a culture of peace. 
our podcasts are also, you can link to the Peace On podcasts from the website. And there's a page about our Hope Story Circles. Also something about the Blueprint for Peace. That's a major initiative that we offer to everyone to sign on to, to notify all of your elected officials that you support policy related to peace building and violence reduction. Also a link about the Department of Peacebuilding Legislation, which is our cornerstone piece of legislation that we advocate for, HR 1111. We are a small nonprofit. We accept donations of any side gratefully, and especially our monthly donors, our peace partners that give us sustainable income. So we invite you to join us in that way. And there's a calendar of events there. And the calendar of events shows all of the Hope Story Circles, our national calls. We have some really exciting national calls coming up. Just coming week on April 12th, Marianne Williamson is going to speak at our national call. Doc Maver and Hart Phoenix are joining us in a call later and Dennis Kucinich later in April. So do check the calendar of events and see what's going on. And the book club is coming up as well. So I'm gonna hand it back to Liz to close for us, but thank you so much everyone for being here, Liz. Yeah, I, I'm so buzzing and I'm gonna to try to do this quickly, mindful of everyone's time. When I was thinking since last night of the question that Rivera posed, the two that came up for me was what I put in. I loved Nancy Drew and I loved this book called The, the Little Witch. And I grew up in a house with, uh, many of you know this, a college professor. So I read books that I maybe wouldn't have read when I was nine, right? So at home, I took books off my shelf because I cared about everything. And I really read, for those of you who know these titles, Down These Mean Streets and Soul on Ice when I was like nine or 10. And it really gave me this opening to these, these real huge um, conditions that I felt drawn to solve. And my dad described me once when he was asked, he was talking about us and he said about me and my dad was the only person who called me Beth. He said, Beth always asked a million questions. And I think what Nancy Drew taught me was if I have one more piece of information, I think I could solve this, right? I just need to follow one more clue and have one more piece of information. But I discovered this book, The Little Witch and she was this beautiful little witch who just wanted to use her powers to make the world better and, and more, Wonderful. And I took that book out every week. And finally, the librarian told me I wasn't allowed to take it out anymore because I had to read other books. I'm like, I have a million books at home I read. You have to let me figure out how to use my powers to unlock what I need to do in the world. And so what I realized is, and you said it so beautifully, is we don't have to figure it all out, right? I, I, when I think about stories, I think about as breadcrumbs, right? To what's your part, right? The stories we're drawn to it's just following the breadcrumbs of what's your part of the story and what do you need to bring? And I'm still thinking, what piece of information do I need and how can I awaken my powers to, to do my, my part here? So I invite you guys all to do the same thing, right? What are the stories and the characters you're connected to and how can you continue to mine those stories, right? To find the breadcrumbs for your next step. Um, I'm so thankful, Rivera, that you joined us and for all of you who come every day. As always, I'm thankful for my beautiful uh, friends Terry and Yelena for doing such a great job. So um, we ran a little old, over, but I think the conversations were deep and well worth it. So thank you guys so much for being here. Um, thank you. Thank and you I look so forward much, to Erin. seeing where all of your stories lead you. Yeah, and us. So feel free to come off mute and say goodbye. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rivera. Thanks, everyone. So good to see everybody today. Thank you, everybody. See you again. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy your week. Thank you. Healthy holidays to you all.
Thank you for joining us today at Peace On. We hope that it inspires you to engage in dialogue in your larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance, found at peacealliance.org.